Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to get these doggies. They're out of the pan. We got to get them back in the in pan. In the pan, in sure. In the pan. We got to get them over to the last podcast network, Country Jamboree, June 18th, 2022, at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. Come and check out all the shows that you love on the last podcast network. We'll be in front of you in our meat space, and we cannot wait to entertain you and have a great time. But for those of you that can't come in person, go to momenthouse.com slash LPOTL and buy your live stream ticket. Yes. yes. You, too, can watch us perform our jangly country jamboree from the nudity of your couch. Absolutely fantastic. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Thank you so much for your support. And we are so excited to be at the OG Grand Old Opry. Hail yourselves. Content warning. We'll be discussing um, elements of self-harm kind of throughout a lot of the episode and also some sexual assault and some pretty traumatic uh, racial profiling stuff. Someplace underneath. I've been doing meal prep. I made some beef stew today, and I'm real excited for my beef stew summer body. (laughs) Who's ready to fit in that two-piece, baby? Beef stew. I don't think there's been a stew-based diet craze yet. Well, we're going to start one. Thick chunks. Thick chunks. That's my name. Hardy. (laughs) Hardy and the body. Booty body. Hardy booty. You know, I like where your mind's at. Hardy booty. Hardy I like booty. it. Give myself a hardy booty. <laughs> My life is so, I don't want to say boring. I will say like, I get up early. I go to the gym. I clean. I write. I do meal prep. Like there's nothing like outstanding. So what have you done, Amber? Nothing. You know, I think sometimes, welcome to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. I think sometimes the people who are always doing exciting things every day, or a little bit of uh, loose cannons that you have to be afraid of. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> I, was I definitely was a lot more when I was more erratic in my life. Uh, it was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, sometimes life doesn't have to be like so exciting every day. Sometimes you just get your work done and then you go to bed in peace. Yeah, I like it. I like an excitement that's like, oh, I get to play a video game for an hour. That's fun. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, you know, I like to go, I like to pop off a little bit, but you got to balance. You got to find the balance of it. If you don't find the balance of it, sometimes you become 
mentally unstable, which is what we are talking about today. <laughs> this crazy lady. Yeah. This is one that has been on the uh, list for a while. And it's there's been a conversation a lot in, in media for reasons I'm not going to speak about, but everybody knows what I'm talking about, about making false accusations about crimes. It's, it's a rare thing that happens, but it does happen occasionally. Yeah. And we don't have a really... We don't have a very good, healthy way to respond to that situation when it happens. Well, sometimes people's brains are just wired a little differently. And I don't know, like they just got that little touch of something, something cuckoo. And I've hung out with them, you know, certainly as a stand up comic. And they make me like I get nervous. You know what I mean? Like I remember talking to this one girl. She's like, yeah, I cheated on my boyfriend. He deserved it because he's like boring and then so it's his fault I cheated on him and I was just like I have to get away from you you're insane yeah do you think that she went on to commit crimes I hope so more ladies in crimes and more ladies in stem well you're <laughs> you're in luck because we got one today it's very very rare it really is but the the wider impact when somebody does make a really sweeping false accusation is felt by many people in many circumstances. So it's not just the immediate family of that person. It often it has a ripple effect and causes a lot of disarray in the aftermath of those accusations, especially on real victims. And it sucks because you don't ever want to call somebody a real victim. But when you come across a case like this of Sherry Papini's, there is just no other way to explain that other than she's not a real victim in the situation that she put herself in. Yeah, it's so sad because stuff can happen. Like stuff's happened to me before and I go to people with it. And even my mom, she was like, I don't believe women. Right. Because it's stuff like this. And that's so sad. Yeah, it sucks. It really sucks on so many levels. It's really frustrating and it's heartbreaking. And not only does it make people harder to believe, but often others fall into the shadows of these people because a lot of times it turns out these are the kind of people that make everybody pay attention to them 24-7 and then they take all the energy out of the room. So oh, narcissists? Right. Whatever's going on, I don't know if that's what's happening in uh, old Sherry here, but something uh -huh. is, there are some stuff she's firing beautiful. off all kinds of places. When someone's too beautiful, because she's gorgeous, like blonde hair, blue eyes, I almost think like, oh, you gotta be a narcissist or insane. Like you're not all put together. You're not beautiful and well inside. Something's wrong. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, we, we get, we all, we all throw the term narcissist around a lot now, but regardless of what's going on, she clearly is having mental disruptions <laughs> and she's, she's pretty, but you know, she's also just sort of baseline generic all American girl kind of pretty you know what i mean Maybe. like she has sort of the runaway bride eyes that are just a little bit too open all the time like she's really yeah. trying hard to look very happy constantly but yeah i mean don't worry she doesn't have it all together amber um <laughs> so yeah so of course these accusations are rare false accusations but the ripple effect goes very far and wide from you know Somebody doing this allots detective resources. It takes the attention away from the media, from other cases. It makes it harder for cases to be taken seriously. I don't really want to spend a shit ton of time on Sherry Papini. Sherry Papini. 
I can't. It's really hard to not say her name like that. Um, mm, I like a little tomatoes and some basil on this. Yeah, right. And we won't actually call her Sherry a papini after this because <laughs> fortunately, mercifully, her husband is finally filing for divorce as of like a month ago. You go, girl. Mercifully. So she will uh, presumably go back to the name Sherry Groff, which is her maiden name, but I'm just going to call her Sherry for the rest of the episode. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, like I said, but in case you're not familiar with her story, I want to give you a backstory of why we're talking about her and why we're going to bring in these other women to this series. So on November 2nd, 2016, a 34-year-old wife and mother from Redding, California, which is the northern part of California, kind of near Sacramento, told her husband that she was going jogging and then disappeared. God, it's always with the jogging. Never go jogging. You're either going to see a body or go missing yourself. Seems like jogging is dangerous. A lot yes. So Sherry is what we would deem societally as the perfect victim for media. Tiny... Very pretty, squeaky clean, blonde hair, two cute little kids, an adoring husband, respectable in a house in the suburbs, you know, huge blue eyes that seem to scream, I'm so pure. How could anyone not help widow me? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I want we have to roast her now because what she's Okay. Saying. I'm such a little small lady. I remember them like saying her weight and her height, and I was like, oh, impossible. I know. It's like I, a I missing woman. <laughs> I think that was my hate and we when I was in second grade, maybe. No shame. She's just a tiny person. So the case picked up steam immediately in the news because she makes for a perfect story. However, it became apparent that Sherry has a bit of a strange background that made people kind of start questioning things pretty quickly after this story started getting pumped into the news outlets. At first glance, her sto story told from her own perspective, which we can learn from her archived wedding blogs, is kind of, it's like nauseatingly generic. In 2009, after she had been on the long search for her Prince Charming, she reignited a relationship with her middle school boyfriends. And it was also her first kiss. Aww. His name was Keith Papini. Aww. Her quote from her blog was, He was in seventh grade. I was in eighth. I never imagined my middle school first kiss would turn out to be my husband. Eee! Sorry, I had to read it like that. I just can't. When everything's just so perfect, I can't. <laughs> well, a lot of times it's because it's an illusion. Right, right. It's like that the family on the end of the suburbs. You're like, you're a perfect outward looking family. And on the inside, it's just like hellscapes and fire and brimstone. Yes. yes. She is presenting, forward presenting. This is what's happening in her world. They fell deeply in love and they decided to get married. So their Facebook photos from this time and their photo bucket photos all just portray this sort of kind of barftastic, factory-made, kind of always perfectly posed pictures, the pictures that you will always see on every photo wall in this kind of family. Yeah. Not to say there's anything wrong with being basic. It's not a crime. No, it but does look like a picture you find in the photo frame. Yes. Already at Marshall's. I always get a little disarmed when I can't gauge any sense of personality from people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's okay to just be basic bitches, but if I... I look at your photos and it, they are like ones that you could just easily replace when you're like walking through my goals. Like there's something that like I find very off-putting about that. When she went missing in 2016, 
they had at that point had their two adorable, healthy children who, you know, coincidentally made perfect accents to the press coverage. My mommy went missing. Yes. Where's mommy? Look at this sad family. Keith, her husband, he was entirely cooperative and he passed the lie detector test. He immediately made the press rounds and he seemed, from my perspective, genuinely terrified. So even though he was the husband, which immediately puts you in the hot seat and people don't trust you, there wasn't a ton of scrutiny on him because he seemed sincerely distraught. And if not, he was a very good actor. So, you know, he was on camera sobbing. He seemed beside himself, you know. It's really sad to see it now knowing what we know. Yeah. Because he obviously was desperately in love with her. So she goes missing. It's beginning. It's right after Halloween in 2016. She was very into Christmas. So she had already started pulling all of, you know, her ornaments out and stuff like that. Oh, my God. I bet her Christmas tree is like perfectly decorated like not the kind of christmas tree where you like have pictures of your kids or like their homemade ornaments and it's like a little homespun and a little off but it's like no it's perfectly pink yeah and like everything we got at the mall yeah i mean homemade. I, I think that is quite possible there probably are pictures of her in front of the christmas tree with her husband so we can we can go look <laughs> um so Three weeks go by and, you know, people are freaking out. It's making the news. Keith is is talking to everyone, trying to figure out what's happening. Nobody knows what's going on. And then three weeks later, on November 22nd, which was Thanksgiving Day 2016, Sherry is spotted by motorist Alice Sutton frantically waving a T-shirt on the side of the I-5 North at 4 a.m. Alice Sutton sees this and... A lot of cars had passed Sherry by, it seemed like, at that yeah, point. because you'd like, is, who is, is it a ghost? Right, it's just, it's I'd somebody, pass. you know, it would be a thing where I probably did, would do if I didn't, you know, I would do something like Alice Sutton did, which is she didn't stop for Sherry. She pulled over right past her and then called 911 and was like, there's a woman. Strictly because immediately in my head, I'd go, this is a trick. Yeah, someone's in the bushes. Right. And they're going to come and get me. Right. It's, it was the middle, you know, still dark out stuff. So you can't just be like, hi, what's going on? But I think this is the right thing to do is you pull over close by and, you know, alert the police and they can go look. So that's what Allison did. And the spot where she was found on the side of the highway was ended up being 150 miles south of her home in Shasta Lake in a place called Yolo County. That's a long jog. Yeah. 150 miles? Yeah. So that morning, Keith gets a call that thousands of families lay awake at night praying for. Keith, we found your wife and she's alive. He he recounts this on a lot of interviews and you can see the genuine emotion in him hearing this, you know, this happened. But he also gets on that phone call. He gets, you know, you please come down and see her, but, you know, be prepared. She's she's not in the same condition she was when she left three weeks ago. Oh, no. So he, he flies, he speeds all the way down to Yolo County from their home to the hospital where she's being kept and examined. And he's faced with quite a shock, the horrors of what her captors have done to her. Her hair has been completely chopped off. She's covered in various stages of bruising. There's cuts, there's some fresher, there's some scabbed over. She's been branded. Mm. It looks like some sort of Bible verse has been branded on her. The bridge of her nose has been broken, and she weighs only 87 pounds down from the 100 pounds she normally weighs. 
she's disoriented and confused. She doesn't really know what day it is, but she is alive. Hallelujah. Okay, so story over. And they all went happily into peaceful candy land. ever after. So Sherry, of course, when that happens and you find a missing person, there's a lot of procedure that has to happen. You have to get medical examinations. You have to talk to the police. You have to do all these things, try to describe what you, where you were, what things you can remember about where you were kept. She can't fully describe what happened to her right off, but she knows this much. She was picked up by two Latina women near Keith and Sherry's home in Redding, California, who then found her and snatched her, kidnapped her, took her in the car and drove for a long time, long enough that she says she fell asleep in the car before locking her up in some sort of house or domicile where they proceeded to torment her for several weeks. And then they just, when the three weeks were up, tied her back up, put her in a car, and then just kicked her out and put her on the highway. That's weird. No ransom, no money. They just don't like blonde women or something. Yeah, I guess so. I guess just random act of violence. Yeah. Which, you know, it can happen. Yeah. Let's just say... Okay, sure. Maybe that's a possibility There's on no the scheme motive. of things. Yeah. So she describes these two women and, you know, a police sketch is made. They're two Hispanic women. Suddenly, the Hispanic women of her hometown, the Redding area, are being scrutinized. Mm. Redding is not a big place. And the Hispanic community makes up less than 10% of that community. Oh, man. So it's like 20 gals. And then the cops are just like, did you take this blonde white woman? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's been a lot of interviews since then that, you know, the women of that community were started to be afraid to travel in pairs or like travel in vans together because they could tell they were being scrutinized by everyone and being kind of villainized. I mean, like, was it you? Was it you who took our beautiful Sherry? So that sucks. But so far as we know at this point in this story, it could have been two Hispanic women. We don't know what's happened yet. Doesn't mean you should be doing that to people, <laughs> looking at them and going like, maybe you did it just randomly. Yeah, no, I'm not the police. Right. Um, not that the police always do for yeah, either, either. But, but also I'm not the judge or executioner here, no, you know? No, you're not. You're probably not helping the situation if you're just pointing at people being like, you could have. Yeah, what is this, the Inquisition? Right. So... Even as the story is unfolding, some people are kind of scratching their heads at the story for a few reasons. For one, why would these women kidnap her, offer no explanation or ask for any form of money, and then just dump her off three weeks later? It's incredibly rare for women to kidnap women and torture them and then release them. Yeah, that's not a lady thing. We like candles and marshals. We're not <laughs> and I, I'm saying this statistically, not trying to be a sexist in any way, but this is statistically not a common thing that happens. And women love marshals. That's just science. <laughs> so there's that. And then there are these other strange sort of bits and pieces of information about Sherry from her past that start getting shared around Reddit and eventually gets makes it to the media outlets. 
Sherry has had a bit of a problem with lying and stealing throughout her life. Ooh, no way. A blonde white woman's a liar and a thief? No, I know. I know. I'm as shocked as anyone. These little tidbits start getting shared over and over again. But because her family has never expressed any interest in talking about it further, we don't really know what the hell is happening behind these police reports. But there's some weird stuff going on here. So... Everything the public knows is based on nothing but these police reports, but there is some form of disturbance inside of Sherry, it seems. That sounds like an extreme statement to make about a stranger, but if you're not already aware, Sherry fabricated the two women captors. Man, and that sucks because think of how many Hispanic women in the small town were terrorized because of her lie. Absolutely. It's garbage. So... Those people do not exist. She gave a description that the police sketches are of people who are not real. We know this now, but at the time, we didn't know. However, we do have these police reports from when she was younger. Back in 2000, when Papini was 18 years old, the Shasta County Sheriff's Office received a call from Papini's father, Richard Grafe, who claimed that his daughter had burglarized his residence. Very strange. So yeah, I've seen some kids like sort of do that. It's like mom wouldn't give me an allowance. Dad didn't let me do this. So I just went and I took it. I took it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. In this, So this was 2000. This would have been the year she graduated high school. It seems extreme to call the cops on your daughter. Yeah. But we don't know exactly what happened because... Again, her father has never explained it any further as to what happened. The same year, though, Sheila Coster, Papini's sister, called the cops on her, saying that she had her back door had been kicked in by somebody. And she suspected Papini was the culprit. And this is uh, according to it was initially found by the Sacramento Bee. So. Again, this w- she would have been about a senior in high school or just graduated, and her older sister had her own spot. And again, the police were called on her by her family. This is weird. Even if she, quote-unquote, didn't do anything, to have the cops called on you twice for something like this? Well, by your family, too. By your own family? So, no. We'll, so, okay, we'll, we'll discuss this in a second, but here's a couple more. Three years later, in 2003... Her father told police that Papini had made unauthorized withdrawals from his checking account. Again, calling the cops on his daughter, who at this point would be about 21. Girl, get a job. Then there seemed to be some sort of update with the police where he clarifies that she actually returned the money. And she'd only been doing it so that she could open her own credit card account. I gave it back. What? (laughs) It's. I know everybody's family dynamics are different, but this is so strange to me, a strange way to handle a family problem. You know, unless you or your kid is like putting somebody's life in danger, it seems weird just to call the cops on your daughter a bunch of times. So either to me, that says there are more intense elements going on in her behavior than we're understanding, or this is a really harsh family to be a part of. That's weird. My parents never called the cops on me, but they would say, if you get picked up and you go to jail, you're staying the night. We ain't bailing you out. I mean, for sure. And I'm sure that people do have to call the cops on their kids sometimes. But for these things that are nonviolent, it's either they're very harsh and strict or 
they're not fully expressing that they are terrified of their daughter. Yeah. I don't know which one it is. We can't say. It's like, a, what's that Twilight Zone movie where the kid just makes everybody silent? Oh, yeah. Twi uh, the Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what she is. Yeah. Like the whole family's like, we can't upset the daughter. Maybe. It could be. And then, so again, in 2003, there's a 911 call from Loretta Grafe, who is her mother. The police would go on to file an incident report where the sheriff's office was saying that Loretta called, saying that she believed her daughter was self-harming, and then she was trying to blame the injuries on her mother. Ooh. We only have this incident report from the year 2003, the police really won't comment any further on it, but apparently a police officer said that then they, all they did was give the woman some tips on what she should do. Really? Um, I mean, I guess what can you do? Yeah. It's also kind of a sad thing that her mom just called being like, I don't know what to do. My daughter's, you know, self-harming and she's saying that I'm doing it to her. Ooh, it sounds like she raised her daughter to be like her friend. Or something, and not not a lot of discipline, or maybe they did. I don't know. That's a it's weird so family. hard to say. It's so hard because these are such vague, strange things. And, you know, there's also some uh, other accounts from her time as a as a kid and a teen. Some pretty bold statements made by the people she used to participate in in church youth group with, including the man who became her first husband, who we're not even going to talk about on this episode. He doesn't really have anything to do with this story, but she had a first husband with a lot of a lot of things were really wackadoodle in that whole situation too but it's not even a part of this so we're not gonna talk about him then you know we get into one of the main reasons why this crime is so egregious and terrible and that's her naming these two latina women as the culprits this has happened in crimes before with false accusations where a white person or a privileged person names an underprivileged or a minority in a crime that they themselves have committed. This is a thing that happens sometimes, probably because they see it as a way out of responsibility and that people will be more likely to believe, oh, this underprivileged person obviously did it, not me. I'm a clean white person. Oh, right. Kind of like that girl that like kept blaming people for taking her phone. Remember that? That was in the news yes. a couple yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was like in her bag. Yeah. No, that that woman was quite a character. That's why to this day, I mean, I don't go around accusing people, but anytime I like can't find something or whatever, like I'm always like, calm down. Yeah. Take a breath. Don't accuse people. And then like kind of assault them. No, it's probably um, in the bottom of your bag. It's my, okay. My favorite part about that girl was when she made her statement on, you know, one of the Good morning shows. And or her whatever. hat said daddy. Her hat said daddy. <laughs> and didn't she say hush to the news reporter or oh, something? Yeah, she's a she's a piece of work. Yeah, that was very not funny because what she did was absolutely traumatizing, but that woman is wow. BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So, yes. So this is one of the reasons that Papini had so many doubters early on was she apparently has a history with making some crazy wild accusations. Also like a white nationalist history, which we'll get to in a second. But, yeah. Because I kind of felt sorry for her for a bit because I was like, oh, maybe she's got touched in the head. And then she has all this Nazi stuff. And I was like, oh, Sherry. Yeah. I don't like a you. real Sherry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's it's. You can empathize or sympathize with somebody who's going through mental health issues, but it's when they start to involve other people and cause harm to other people that it becomes a lot harder to feel sorry for them. Yeah. But yeah, so essentially after this started coming out, web sleuths, hackers, I mean, probably just like moms in their house, but they tracked down a blog post that was put up by a woman who went by Sherry Greif from the Shasta Lake, California area, which is where Sherry's from. And it was a blog post on a website called Skinheads oh, with, with a Z. Z. com because you want to be quirky in the year 2003. So this isn't something that, you know, somebody copy pasted and went like, oh, my God, did you see what she did back then? They pulled it from the archives of this website in the year 2003. Ooh, they must have gone sleuthing. Yeah, I think that because, as we'll talk about, and at least in her community, she was known to be a liar. So I think people were trying to pull up maybe some proof of that. Mm. Um, and again, you know, it's tough because before we knew the fact that she had lied, it's also like, well, you can have mental illness and be kind of a jerk and still be missing and be like have gotten kidnapped. So we can't always jump to those conclusions yes. either. But in retrospect, Things make more sense. So, yeah, this was also a 2003 thing. So a lot of stuff was going on in her world in 2003, it seems like. In this lengthy blog post, the poster, who we presume is Sherry, goes on to tell a tale of how she was jumped by eight Latinos. She does not like Latino people. It seems to be that way. It's revolting what she wrote. It's racist diatribe that I don't really want to get into or repeat on the show. But the essence of it suggests that she was getting beaten up by Latino students because she was, quote, drug-free, white, and proud of my blood and heritage. They did not jump you for that. They probably jumped you because you'd been a bitch. Yeah. I'm sorry making you say all the poor bullshit <laughs> ever. No, I like saying it like a... <clears throat> so in this post that she's put up, Allegedly, she makes a lot of wild accusations and references her father and his, quote, white pride. On the way up the bleachers, when I had rebuffed the Latinos, I had split my leg open and it was hard for me to walk. But when my dad picked me up from the police department, the only thing he kept saying to me was, Cher, I'm proud of you. You did the right thing. Keep on walking. Don't let your legs slow you down. Keep walking. It was a happy feeling to have such support from my dad. I'm sorry I keep reading it like that. <laughs> no, I, that is the accurate way to read that. It just, it does, this is not necessarily relevant to anything, but it does make me so curious about the family dynamic in their house. Was this stuff that she, her father was actually putting onto her or is this a weird delusion she's having? She obviously has some sort of weird relationship with her dad, but 
it's just the, this long thing about how she's protecting her race and her heritage and her family values with her dad and her dad keeps coming up and how he keeps telling her to walk on her wounded leg and don't stop walking. It's really strange. Yeah. So this is a thing that after it was discovered and they were still looking for her, Keith, her husband, fairly, you know, is chastising the public for trying to you. This is not a, this isn't real. Or I think what the, the statement was, was I Sherry knew about this. This was something a, a high school colleague of hers did to to be, to be mean to her. It wasn't her fault. Like a practical joke? Yeah. A practical joke is when I like leave fake dog do in your house. You know what I mean? Right. Not you, when I there's write. A do- there's a fake poop right here that you put in the LPN office. Yeah, offices. I love it. <laughs> so that's, that's more along the lines of probably what a high school student was. Not that kids don't cyberbully, but this is, I don't believe that a kid put this up. I believe that Sherry did. No, it's like a weirdly specific, like who would sit down to write this? Right. And, and uh, But I also understand why Keith would say that. He was... Under, he still believed her story very much at this point. So my beautiful wife went missing. Right, and at that point, I think most people, most people would be like, "How dare you? She is in danger." You know what I mean? So not for nothing, Sherry also maintained a public Pinterest account that contained a section marked "Cultural Differences," huh? featuring memes expressing concerns about illegal immigrants and Muslims. Is so, it on Pinterest? I thought Pinterest was like, I like these drapes. This is a cool coffee table. Not like racism. Oh, anything that can be memed can go on Pinterest. Interesting. That was what she wanted on her Pinterest board. I guess so. Cool. And and so that's another, you know, interesting. Okay, that sucks. Another red flag when they were doing the initial search for her was the fact that they had found several, and when I say they, I mean the police and detectives, they found several different phone numbers in her phone that had women's names attached to them that turned out to be single men. Ooh, I guess if you want to cheat, not not saying I support this idea, but just say like a girl's name. Just be like, oh, that's my girlfriend, you know, Pauline Colin, and it's really Paul. I think that is a standard playbook cheaters thing. I'm not smart do. enough to cheat. I tell you what, if I'm, I'm having yeah. a bad time in the relationship, I'm just going to say what's up. I, it seems like a lot of work. It seems it's really tiring. Work. It's kind of like conning and scheming. It's yeah. like, just get a job. Isn't this much harder than just having a job? So yeah, there, these numbers turned out to be men. And in fact, men from Sherry's dating past. And not so much past some of them we find out. So the police had access to her phone because the morning of her, quote, kidnapping... When Keith came home and couldn't find her, he had the, um, you know, find my iPhone app and Mm -hmm. tracked the phone. And it turned out her phone had sort of been placed in bushes near their house, which was another element that raised the eyebrows of some detectives because it's not normally where you would find a person who was kidnapped off the street's phone. And like what if you're being thrown in a van, what am I going to take my phone and throw it in the bushes? No. Right. Or if you were being yanked and you happen to have your phone in your hand it's not a cartoon where you fling it and it like lands perfectly in the bushes in front of your house. So that was a little, you know, they, they were stopping and just thinking about it for a second. So many of the men from her past were actually people from this church youth group. And this is a group where she eventually became a counselor. And as I mentioned before, some of the people from this community were called her to be a compulsive liar. Ooh, it's all crumbling now, honey. Yeah, so one man specifically is named Shuan Devari. 
He did an interview with some media outlets saying that she, quote, dated him. And I say, quote, because she was 20 years old and a counselor for the youth group at that point, And he was 15. Ew. And a uh, youth group attendant. So that's not dating. That's statutory in the state of California if they had any sexual contact. At least it is now. It might not have been 20 years ago, but still gross. <laughs> this man, who's now a professor, says that when he heard the news of her disappearance, he immediately thought, Oh, she's not missing. She did this to herself. Ooh, and usually the thought, the first thought you have, your guttural instinct is right. Yeah. He says that she would regularly lie to him, including about having different physical ailments, but also things like those sort of lies that are so easy to to know, to be caught in. Like he was a surfer and she said, oh, my God, I love surfing. And then he would go, oh, my God, we go, we have to go surfing together. And she'd always be like, my surfboard's got a chip in it. I just, uh, I don't know. She obviously had never been surfing, but he was. she convinced him for a time because he was 15 that she was a surfer. Those sorts of lies, too. But like bigger lies also about her health problems and stuff. Some um, people just love lying. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So. These claims by him are backed up by other acquaintances of hers from that time as well. When they found Sherry after on Thanksgiving Day that in 2016, they, of course, had to do DNA testing on her and all her belongings. When they did that, they found the DNA of one unknown female and one unknown male. She was having threesomes in the woods. I think that would have made it cooler, but... She never mentioned any males to the police or detectives when she was found. So that was another piece of the puzzle to try to, to figure out. Well, it was, a, it was a confusing piece of the puzzle at the time, at least. Yeah. When they discovered these secret men on her phone, they, of course, wanted to look into those people. She's hiding people on her, you know, on her Rolodex. Ooh, I kind of feel bad for the husband because his wife is yeah. missing, his beautiful blonde wife, and, like, she's a cheater. She's a liar. She's got men on her phone. I feel terrible for her husband. I, I feel like I pretty much believe that he has nothing to do with this, and I think most people would agree with that. He was kind of another victim of hers. And he was he seemed to really love her, which makes me sad. So one of these men on her phone was a former boyfriend whose name is Sean Reyes. They had met as teenagers and had ended up having a relationship later on in their 20s. They were actually engaged at one point in the mid-2000s. Then they broke up and broke off and they went their separate ways. They weren't in contact anymore. From everything I can gather, this guy is just kind of a sad rube that she was using. Oh. For whatever cuckoo scam she thought she was running. She's so pretty. I guess I'll get take the bags out of the car. You want some money? I'll get you some ice cream. I mean, that's what he was doing, though. That's what he was doing. Oh, my God. So Reyes said, Reyes says to the police when he's caught eventually, which we'll talk about why he was caught for, that he, in 2015, he had just been cleaning out his house and he found this old box of pictures from the relationship that belonged to her. And he decided he was going to ship that off to her parents' house, not to Sherry directly, just to her parents in that he contacted them, not Sherry, just being like, hey, I'm just sending this over to you in case Sherry wants these things. He says shortly after that, Sherry contacted him and in rapid succession went from small catch-up talk to saying that she was in an abusive marriage and that she was terrified of her husband and she wanted to leave him, that she wanted to start a new life with Sean who, by the way, was 
working at a skate shop and lived with his grandfather. I don't know if that was maybe. He's just living a normal life and she's just like, how can I manipulate him? And he's just like, blonde pussy. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I feel kind of bad for him. Is this how men's rights activists are created? Maybe. I don't like any of this. I don't like none of this. Sherry's fucking up everything. So Sean Reyes lives in Costa Mesa, California. During this interlude during this uh this back and forth in 2015 when she starts contacting him again they begin this espionage in order to get her away from this terrible man she was married to which by the way i don't i don't think there's any evidence to suggest he was actually abusive to her no she's lying about that she's lying about this yeah they began sharing a joint aol email account and he conducted financial transactions with her so he was sending her money while she was still with her husband and from kids. the skate shop Finances? From a skate job job. Oh, buddy, you making $8 an hour. Yeah. It's 2003. So, yeah. Well, this was 2015. Oh, sorry, 2015. So, and yeah, he's like in his mid-30s at this point. This is in 2015. So she completely has Reyes snowed. And she makes this plan for him to pick her up that morning of November 2nd, 2016, when she's doing her jog. This was over a course of a year she kind of concocted this plan with him. Turns out she was having affairs with other men, too, throughout the years, but that's neither here nor there. Damn. Just showing that Sherry has had an internal life that was probably the real her and always has been the real her, and this little pure American girl persona has always just been that, a facade, that she's lived this inside life that's not what she presents to other people. After he picked her up that morning he drives her she lays down in the back seat of his car stretched out and he drives her in a rental all the way back to his house and that's where she stays for the next three weeks according to him mostly it was just them sitting around she wouldn't leave but he went out and bought her clothes and buy her food and they just sat around and talked a lot he's probably having a great time well at first maybe but then he begins he says that she begins to ask him to help rough her up, which he mostly refuses to do. I think she is justifying it in the idea of we need to prove to the police that he's hurting me. God knows what she was exactly saying to him to convince him, but he doesn't stop her or report it, but he says mostly he won't do the actual physical abuse. I mean, I could see being a dude and like some girl you're bringing home and she's just like, punch me, punch me. That's a red flag, man. Yeah. And to his benefit, he didn't want to do it. No. I I think, again, I feel kind of sorry for him. So when he refuses, it turns out that she did a lot of the physical damage to herself. I mean, I'm talking like Breaking her nose and stuff. Is this what Gone Girl is kind of referencing? Well, they do make the the reference to Gone Girl kind of a bit in the in the media. I can't imagine hurting myself. I'm a little baby when it comes to pain. Breaking my own nose, honey. You are, and I hate to throw this word around, but crazy. I know, and it, it again, mental illness sucks, and it's really devastating. But it's whenever you start to pull all these other people into your 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 web, it's then you know. We got to we got at a point where you become a, a fucking asshole. You're not yeah. mentally ill, you're a dickhead. So, I mean, she also is mentally ill probably. <laughs> so, yeah, the self-infliction worries her mother had in 2003 seemed to be pretty valid and 
also this kind of harkens back to she was doing it to herself and accusing her mother of doing it. She's trying to convince again of, you know, convince the police, oh, I was kidnapped and these people did these things to me. So just like punching myself in the face. Yeah, she was. So the self-harming also involved having uh, Sean Reyes go to a craft store and buy a wood burning kit to do this branding on her. When the police caught up to Reyes and he was questioned, he says that he was under the impression that he and Sherry were going to have a romantic relationship, but they did not have sex while she was there. Oh, ultimate cock. I know that she slept in his bed and she made him sleep on his couch. It makes me sad, man. It's brutal. He didn't even get to have sex with her. He didn't even get to sleep in his own bed. Whoa. There was his uh, DNA on her underwear, though, so it's hard to say if he was being truthful, but DNA could get there and them not, not have had sex. I mean, she could have just been, like, rubbing his pee-pee while he's asleep and, like, right. I rubbed my panties and then you brand me. He could have also just been, like, jerking off in her panties or something. His DNA is on her clothes, which is how they, they busted him. Um, after three weeks, these three weeks go by November, in November of 2016, he alleges that she says she missed her kids and that she wanted to go home. So he was like, okay, I think at this point he was kind of like, I got to get this woman out of here. So he's like, on her orders, he drops her off on that stretch of the I-5 at four in the morning on Thanksgiving Day, and he just goes back home. He didn't go to the police, though. I guess I'll drop you off here. It's 4 a.m. on the side of the highway. I mean, Good it's luck. what she wanted, she told him to. She was He was operating entirely on by her My desires. God. I don't know if she's like a mastermind or just no. <laughs> Definitely not. There's like so many holes in this plot, Jerry. If you're gonna do this, do it right. Yeah. I think she whatever. She was doing this and she she got her way for a while. <laughs> um so he didn't go to the police though. And to to be honest, I understand because this is a crazy story. And if she lied to the cops. She was most likely going to be believed. I mean, well, a dude walks into a police station and goes, there was a woman that got in my car and I took her to my house and she was, she's all fucked up, but she did it. I didn't do it. I mean, that's not going to look great. No. Um, I think, I feel like Sean just wanted to pretend like none of it ever happened. Do like, you just go back to the skate shop, buddy? Go yeah. back to live with your grandparents. Right. Just do your meal preps in your gym and live a simple life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's not how it goes. Eventually the cops found him and he told them everything he knew. And, you know, ultimately, I think at the end of the day, he would have not gone to jail for it because... It's not illegal well, what he did. Yeah. And they had their email correspondences. So even if Sherry had tried to blame it on him, they could see the conversations between them and know that that's not really what happened. But, you know... I would be scared to go to the cops with this story. And I imagine he felt pretty stupid at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what just happened? What have I done? What am I doing with my life? Why have I, do I need pussy this badly? Maybe I can just pay for it. It's fine. Um, so now she's facing sentencing uh, currently. I believe she's out on bail right now, but she is most likely going to do jail time, which she deserves. And finally, after all this time, after in recent light of these new revelations that have been fully expressed in the in the um, news and Sherry finally admitting that she was lying. Oh, my God. I did it. It was me the whole time. And she she made a statement. Maybe she's receiving treatment out or something, because the statement at least seems like self-aware, saying like, I 
I am going to have to spend the rest of my life trying to write the things that I've done. I'm, you know, I made, I'm, I did these things. I don't know why I did like that kind of stuff. Who knows? But, um, I mean, I do stuff all the, like every time a gate is closing, like on a garage door, I want to like run in and be like, no, I did it wrong. You know what I mean? Like I could see that, but like faking my death. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like through this whole time, her husband, Keith was standing by her side and really wanted to believe her. But then when she admitted to it, he has very mercifully, uh, just within the last month or so filed for divorce from her and asked for full custody of their children. Yeah. Um, so even if she only does a little bit of jail time, which might be the case, she's probably not going to really have um, access to her kids, which That's is good. why she needs she needs to be in treatment. Obviously, there's some full blown like psychotic people out there. There was this girl I used to bartend with. She had bipolar disorder. Um, super fun. And um, she was raised by her father. She said that her mother is just like, she's like, she couldn't take care of me. She's a liar. She's crazy. She's like this. She was, because my friend was like blonde hair, blue eyes, very thin. And I think just had a mom, like a hot, unstable mom. <laughs> and even the court was like father custody, which is like, that never happens. Yeah. So when that happens, that means, you know, the mom was fucking crazy. Yeah. It's hard for, for dads to get custody for sure. So yeah, there's usually something, something stewing in there. Back to Stu. Back to Stu. Um, yeah, so watch out for those hot moms. Don't watch out for them, actually. Because <laughs> it's more terrifying when they're hot and unstable because hot women can like, <laughs> woo, they can just like take over countries. You know what I mean? And they do sometimes. I can't imagine what's going on in Keith's mind right now. That's so tragic. He really, like I said, I feel like he's a victim of hers, too. Uh, she has obviously caused a lot of pain and suffering, and she took money reserved for victims, police resources, and terrorized the Latina community for no fucking reason other than she's kind of awful. But she's also taken the spotlight from other missing women who we're going to talk about. And this one particularly I'm about to talk on didn't have her spotlight stolen per se because her disappearance is 20 years old, but she's had something else stolen. Kind of her own story. Yeah, because they both kind of look alike. Well, not only that, there's more than that. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So... The woman I'm speaking of, or the girl, I should say, I'm speaking of, named Tara Smith. And she went missing from Sherry's community in 1998. Sherry and her husband, Keith, actually knew Tara, had gone to school with her. Though Tara was a great apart from Sherry. They knew each other. Ooh. Um, Tara, by all accounts, was a beloved member of her high school. She was raised in a, a Mormon home, again, with Mormonism. So I don't know Mormons. what's going on. But uh, their home seems to be loving and not a, one of those isolated 
forms of it, sort of like more casual. A good Mormon, because there's got to be good Mormons oh, out there. Course. If it's there a whole religion is. with lots of people and if it keeps going, yeah, they're we've not had, all evil. We've had listeners be like, I'm Mormon, I'm okay, I swear. I'm like, I know, I know. It's yeah. not, not all Mormons. If they were all bad, they, the religion wouldn't have lasted. They're, yeah, they're, there there's are good definitely people. good people within the community. And Normal I think her people. family was perfectly lovely and still is. Um, she, uh, Tara was a basketball player. She was a homecoming queen and a pretty blonde all-American girl. Aww. In fact, she and Sherry, like you just said, um, Amber, looked quite alike. They could have been related. You know, if they people had... If somebody said, oh, they're sisters, you would have been like, oh, okay, yeah. But Tara's the good one. She's the, the good twin. She's the good twin. So... Her family owned a games complex where she worked. So one of those like fun centers, you know what I mean? Oh, I love those. You can go play like arcade games and get a Coca-Cola and some popcorn. Yeah, totally. And like town should have those kind of things because it's like a non-alcoholic fun time to hang out with. Yeah. And they had they owned one and she worked there with her family. Um, So she had, you know, she had a very busy life. She was uh, she had a lot of friends, just had a lot of activities, was almost done with high school. On the morning of August 22nd, 1998, Tara Smith had had an argument with her mom and became grounded. That evening, however, she decided to go on a jog before her parents came home. A jog again with the jogging. Mm hmm. So she, you know, her and her mom had a little spat. She got grounded for probably talking back, giving some lip. She was mad. Um, but, you know, she she was going to be grounded, whatever. So her parents were still at the complex that evening. And she was going to go on a jog before her parents came home. Her sister scolded her for it. And Tara said, listen, I'm going to be back before her parents even know. I'll be right back. Just don't worry about it. I mean, if you're going to leave the house to like rebel against your parents, don't go on a jog. Go to a bar. Well, it it seems like there, there wasn't necessarily going to actually be a jog, but no. we'll get to that. She left the house in jogging clothes that night sometime after 5 p.m. and she was never seen again by her family. In fact, Tara disappeared from a road just about two miles away the same exact road, actually, where Sherry staged her jogging kidnapping. Do you think Sherry's jealous of Tara? It's a theory that I have, personally. <laughs> um, when Tara did not reappear to start her night shift at the family's fun center, their initial thought that she was mad about the grounding and she was being, you know, a bratty teen and wasn't going to show up for work. Um, and then... You know, so initially at seven when she was supposed to start her job, they weren't completely freaking out. But however, a couple hours in, they weren't able to locate her and they started to get get scared. So she might have been a little defined as a teenager, but she wasn't a kid who was like going to just like, you know, hitchhike to Vegas. No. And also kids, teenagers, their whole thing is they talk back. Yeah. So they made a call to the police and they went into her room. They got scared. Um, within that night, they just started looking for anything that might suggest that, you know, because we didn't have social media and stuff in 1988. So they're just like looking around a room being like, where could she have gone? And in the, the effort to look for clues, they started ransacking a room and found a part of a letter. Troy, I love you. I love you with my whole heart. But there is a feeling deep inside me that exceeds even the love I feel for you. This feeling I recognize as the Holy Spirit. He whispers to me strongly about us. As much as I love you, I have to face this fear. This fear is stronger than... And it goes on. So this is a little excerpt. Um, Troy, 
if you heard, that was who she was writing this letter to. Her parents knew Troy. Um, he is, was a married 29-year-old Taekwondo instructor. I bet he is hot, and I bet she oh, fell absolutely for not. him. Not hot at all. No? Because I heard the story, and I, I haven't seen a picture of him, but I heard that he was a Taekwondo instructor, and I was like, yeah, I bet he's sexy. He's not. He's also a convicted rapist. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Oops. <laughs> That's my type. So, oh, God, please no, I'm no. just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she had begun, Tara had just begun taking Taekwondo uh, a few months prior to this, and so her parents were familiar with this man, Troy. He was her instructor. Of course, she, they were not aware of this situation. This note was not something that they were expecting to find. They had no uh, concerns about the man. They thought he was just the, her Taekwondo teacher. Of course, immediately they, they notified the police and then tracked this man down, Troy Zink. Um, initially, cool when the police were looking for him that night, his wife answered the phone and said that he wasn't home yet at 9 p.m. So this doesn't look very good. That letter that Tara's parents found is what amounts to a breakup letter. Tara was 16 at this time. Again, Troy was almost 30. When the police ran a background check on Troy Zink that night, they learned that in 1991, he had pleaded guilty to a charge of marital rape, the charge being holding a knife to his then-wife's throat while he forced her into sexual acts. Oh, Troy, you're already doing Taekwondo. There's no need for the knife. Well... He's not a good person. We can we can right. assess that much. Even though he pled pled guilty or pleaded guilty to the charge, he now says that's not the way it was. He didn't threaten to kill his wife while they were he was forcing sex on her. He simply guilted her into sex while telling her that he was going to kill himself. Oh, cool. That's all. So I don't know what everybody's getting all up in arms. Great about. guy. Yeah. So he served close to a year in jail. Uh, for this uh, charge. And in 1998 was now married to another woman with whom he shared a child. Police questioned him as soon as they were able to get a find him. Uh, he was not be able, he wasn't found until 1130 p.m. that night. Because wasn't he like praying for five hours? Well, that's what he says. I don't believe that Troy Zink. So he admits to the police when they question him that Tara had called him that night, in fact, and that he went and picked her up. But it was because she wanted to borrow $2,000. That's a lot of money. When he refused, he says she got angry with him and insisted that he drop her off on or Old Oregon Trail Road, which is the same road that Sherry staged her kidnapping. Oh, I need $2,000. No, fuck you. Let me out of the car. Get me out of the car right now. Right. So this, it, it, it seems as though this did not happen in any way. And then he says he after he dropped her off, he went up to a secluded area called Hanglide Hill to pray for the next five hours. Who prays for five hours? Some people do. I don't think Troy does, but some people do. He also denied to the police having a sexual relationship with Tara, of course, despite this breakup letter and also then a number of other letters and journal entries that they discovered in Tara's room once she disappeared. And it was, there were many instances, passages of them of her discussing their sexual relationship. I mean, she's a young, pretty blonde girl. And this guy's like, obviously has a shady past. I think they had sex. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, these were items that only were for Tara's eyes. So she would have been lying to herself. I don't, I think Troy's a big fucking liar is what I think. By all account, this guy sucks big time. 
Beyond insisting on being called Master Zink. Ew. At all times because of his Taekwondo skills. Why are all Taekwondo instructors like this? They're not. They're not. I'm sorry. I have many stunt friends. I can't do this. (laughs) They're not. There's many nice ones. During the police investigation, after they were looking for clues about her disappearance, they did, you know, search his studio. And they ended up finding several rifles in the attic. As a felon, he is not allowed to own these guns. He says that they were his dad's, but it didn't matter because they were on his property. So he was actually sent to trial the following year, 1999, and was sentenced to four years in prison. And then he was released. And according to Tara's father, he still lives in Shasta Lake. He lives right by the Smiths where he works at his dad's fucking coin shop. Oh my God, watch out, ladies. Hide yourselves from this man. This is the part that really makes me kind of upset about, I mean, obviously all of it's upsetting, but yeah, it makes me think of the the Powells where they knew that that these people had done something to their daughter, but they just had to live next door to them, essentially. It's just like this, how awful is it for these parents to have to live right by this guy who almost certainly did something? Um, I mean, he's. This is alleged. He's never been charged, but I come on, praying for five hours, Mister Zink. We got to call you Taekwondo Master Zink. You did something, baby. He's. It's. Uh, it's gross, man. He lives in this. He didn't move where anything. But I guess also at that point, he had to live. His his dad's still taking care of him, who I presume must be an elderly man at this point. So for decades, the Smith family has been counting on police to do something, but inexplicably. They've completely released Troy from being a suspect in this case. I do not understand. I do not understand how that's possible. He was clearly grooming this girl, was the last one to see her, has a violent background, and has five hours where he's not accounted for that night. How is he not the main suspect? Yeah, why are the police just cool with this guy? Obviously he did it or something. I mean, not only that, but authorities discovered that in the days after Tara's disappearance, the tires on Zink's vehicle, a Ford truck, had been replaced with ones in worse condition. And the truck had been thoroughly cleaned, according to the record searchlight. Why do you replace tires with a worse tire? I think to make it look like he wasn't getting them replaced with brand new tires. I think that's something you can do to... Try to hide tire tracks. Ooh, sneaky. Were they just kind of like, well, I guess we got him on the shotguns. All right, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know. It's perplexing to me. So um, also with with Zink, I found this, and I'm not sure how this fits in. Um, the Tahama County Superior Court reports that he also was sentenced in 2006 months in county jail for assault with deadly weapons and six months for abandonment of domestic animals, um, which would be concurrent with the time that he was sentenced for the weapons. So I'm not sure if maybe he did, his sentence didn't start until 2000 and this happened in between or how those are connected. But apparently he just sucks regardless. Ew, this guy's disgusting. And people like this, they just keep getting away with it and existing. And I bet other dudes look up to him because he's like the cool the cool dude. I mean, I don't think anybody's looking up to him anymore, but... I don't know. He's like... He just has, like, this work at his dad's shop, and I don't think anybody Fucking talks to him. Fucking loser, Zank. Yeah. So, and look, I, I have to be clear. I, I know these facts don't equate to an immediate guilty sentence for this this person. And if you wanted to play devil's advocate, you could say that perhaps she experienced a foul play from some other unknown entity, and 
because people are focused on this other creep in her life that the other person was able to like do the crime and get away with it. Oh, it wasn't Zinc. His name is Copper. Right, exactly. It could have been entirely a different metal. Aluminium came by. Yeah. Oh, aluminium. (laughs) Um, So that's a thing that could happen. I don't believe that's what happened, but it's possible. Just within the last year... We're sort of at a standstill still, even though they call the case open still. Um, Just within the last year, someone claiming to be Terry Smith, Tara's dad, left this comment on a YouTuber's page who was covering the case. Just found your YouTube channel this evening. I'm Tara's father, and I want to thank you for the accurate and respectful manner in which you presented the details surrounding her disappearance. Yesterday marked 23 years. I've decided to push the DA's office to prosecute Troy Zink. They were reluctant to originally and wanted to have more solid evidence, her body, before moving forward. They didn't want to lose the case only to later find her remains or other damning evidence and be banned from retrying him. Anyways, thanks for doing what you do, Terry Smith. What? So, so they need to see her dead body to prove? Well, you know you know how hard nobody cases are. We, yeah. We had this happen a lot in this in this sad, you know, sad environment of missing people is if it seems as though there's a chance or a likelihood that they have died or been killed, it's really hard to charge somebody with no body. So there's no real n- way to know if that is actually Terry Smith responding to a a YouTube channel. Um, I do know that he has outspokenly said that he has become overly fixated on true crime stuff. And there's a chance that that was him. And I hope that they are going to try to prosecute Troy Zink. I, I just, Troy Zink is at the end of the day, he's not living a good life. Like with all these people after him and all this jail stuff, he's not waking up and doing meal preps and going to the gym. He's waking up afraid for his life and good. Sure. Yes. He's not making a stew, but we also don't want him to be charging people with crimes they didn't commit. However, I think that it's I think that you could be building a case against him even without a body. I think that there is enough to go off of the if, notes. Yeah. If you got private investigators involved in stuff, there has to be. I I can't believe it just makes no sense to me that they would just like let this guy go. Do you think the cops were just like, well, 16-year-old's obviously a slut, so maybe she deserved it? I mean, it was 20 years ago and stuff was really different 20 years ago. I mean, no joke. Like it really was. So it's possible that it's also possible that, you know, his father, whose name is Chuck Zink, who is the one who's still taking care of him and seems to just spend his whole life covering up his son's tracks for him. Um, Mm. He also tried to blame his dad for the guns that he had, you know, but why, what is this game? Like what's the end game for him? Just protect his son from his own actions until he drops dead of heart failure? Like, what? why is he doing this? I Also, it's another advantage. I wish I could peer into that family and, and know why it's this way. I, um, I know some people, some parents who just keep taking the fall for their kids. And their yeah. kids, like, shoplifted or, like, touch other kids. Joss Duggar? Yeah. And they just keep, because t- there's something about, like, you look at their eyes and they're half of you. So you're like, I have to protect them. But at a certain point... Honestly, protecting them is sending them to jail. Helping them. Yeah, you're helping them. You're you're hindering them if you are just allowing them to continue to hurt people. Yes. Um, but, you know, just on a personal 
quest. I'm just like, does his father have some kind of sway in this in the town? Does he have power? Does he have some connection to the police force? I don't know. That's completely speculative on my end, but I just just can't understand how in God's name, this guy who was grooming this high school student, who was the last person to see her. Who like, went praying for five hours and got new tires on his truck. It just doesn't make any sense that you would just dismiss this as a, as a suspect. And again, I'm not saying he did it, but also he's a fucking groomer. So fuck him straight into the moon. I don't care. Um, <laughs> there is also just there's been a, spe- a speculative theory completely based in just speculation that's floated around with maybe was there a chance that Tara was pregnant and that's why she was going to meet up with Troy and she told him and he freaked out. You know, I hear that statistically the most reason why pregnant women are murdered is by their husbands or the the reason by their, by the fathers of the baby. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, or the fathers of the baby, the, um, so how's the stat go? The, the leading cause of death for pregnant women is murder by the father of the child. Cool. Great. Another Um, thing we have to fucking put up with. So, Ugh. Yeah, I mean, there, that's a thing that's been floating around that maybe this was like, because it seems as though she was going to go meet him, maybe to break up with him in person instead of that letter, because when they found that letter, that was a breakup letter in her bedroom, it wasn't finished. So maybe there was a thing where she was going to break up with him or tell him about this or, you know, was she threatening to out the relationship? Was there something he was just trying to protect himself by being an absolute coward and trying to get rid of her that because of that. I and mean, we already know he's a piece of shit, so. Yeah. I just can't get over the cops just letting this guy go. I can't get over it. He's got to have some sway in the police department, donating money or something. I know that sounds extreme, but we've seen it happen before many times. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Which, and this also just brings us back to the question of Sherry. So did she concoct her plan because she was trying to recreate Tara's kidnapping? It seems pretty clear that Sherry was struggling with mental illness. Um, She obviously really loved attention. Was there some part of her that was jealous of the attention that Tara got when she went missing in high school? Oh, is it like one of those things? Like, you know, when you share a painful moment and that that person is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got run over by a car, too. But this car had blades on the tires. They try to, like, overdo it to get more of a sympathy and interaction. Yeah. Like, what do you gain from this? I don't know. And I I think that that's as likely as any reason that that sherry pulled this false kidnapping off it's really hard to figure out what her motives were though she did sherry did end up taking money from the victims fund um after she was found it doesn't really it doesn't seem like extortion was the purpose because her and keith had plenty of money and though it was she ended up getting charged with extortion for like thirty thousand dollars at the end of the day Compared to their income bracket, that doesn't seem to be enough to go to the links that she did. No, especially with her lifestyle. She's going to need a million at least. Yeah, I just don't buy that it was for money. And I also don't believe her husband had a part of this plan. So that also doesn't add up because sometimes people will put schemes together to make money for the family. But I don't think he had anything to do with this. So was it delusion? Was Sherry just trying to get attention? Was it really for the race war that some people have accused her of trying to incite? Was she really just trying to escape her life that she had built and wanted to leave? Only Sherry knows. And probably Sherry will be the only one who ever knows. Mm, Maybe she just couldn't handle being like a mom in suburbia and she just wanted attention. It's, it's, It's a possibility as much as anything else. 
maybe someday after she receives a lot of treatment, she will try to explain it. But uh, I don't really know if anybody wants to hear it anyway. So maybe not, Sherry. But we do know, you know, all we know is that her selfishness took a toll on the coverage of other women who disappeared in her area, um, some almost simultaneously to her disappearance. So next episode, we're going to be talking about two of those women who went and fell into the shadow of Sherry's attention-grabbing scheme. For now, uh, this episode, the Smith family doesn't really feel as though Tara is on this mortal coil anymore, but you never know. So just in case, uh, Tara Smith went missing August 22nd, 1998, up from Redding, California. She uh, was 16 at the time. She would now be... Almost, she would be 40? She's so pretty. Yeah, she would be 40 now. She looks nice. Like, she doesn't look like a toxic person. No, nobody had anything like that to say about her. Um, So She was probably the nice blonde, and the other girl was like, hmm, I don't like the attention she's getting. It's possible. I mean, it's very, it's, it's, it's really quite a coincidence if she wasn't thinking about Tara when she did these things. Um. So she would now be 40 years old. She's female, white. She's got blonde hair and hazel eyes. She's 5'7", 135 pounds. She was last seen leaving her residence to go jogging between 5 and 7 p.m. that day. And she was wearing a sports top, shorts, and tennis shoes. Anyone having information should contact the Shasta County Sheriff's Office at 530-245-6025 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 1-800-THE-LOST. Even if, you know, I think it, it helps if you even have a memory of that day and, and think back. It's not like necessarily you have had to have seen her yesterday, but if you have something that strikes your memory from that day, from that time period, it doesn't hurt to, to call it in. Um, we really hope and pray that Tara's family will receive the closure that they deserve about their daughter, knowing what happened to her and... You know, her poor mother has said in interviews, she just really hopes that someday that she has a grave that she can go visit. Mm. And that's not a lot to ask for. So hopefully we can see some closure uh, for her family. Maybe Troy will understand the gravity of what he's done one day. And, you know, if he did, if he allegedly bad things, I hope Zeke did bad things. I hope so. She definitely didn't deserve this, this fate. So. We're going to come back next week with uh, some other women who didn't get the attention that Sherry did because Sherry needed all the fucking attention. Uh, <laughs> you can follow us at Someplace Underneath and follow me at The Natty Jean. I'm Amber Smelson. And uh, if you're listening to this as it comes out, we have a couple tickets left for our Nashville show in, at the end of June. And um, it's going to be a real fun. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's us, uh, Natalie and Amber. Saucy, part and greasy as always. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. 
and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.